Yes, Jesus, we come this morning acknowledging you as the worthy one, the only one who is worthy of praise and adoration and honor. And it's our desire to give that to you in every way. Lord, not just through the songs that we sing or the offering that we bring, but through the obedience of our lives, through the response to your word. And so God, would you be honored and glorified with the name of Jesus, be exalted in this place and in our lives, for you're worthy. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, get excited, church, about all that God wants to do in us and through us for his glory. He is alive, he is active, and uh, he is inviting us in uh, to what he's doing in the earth today. And, uh, and so welcome to church. My name's Travis, the lead pastor here at Antioch. And our desire is, uh, man, especially as I think about this series, as Andy mentioned, called The Beautiful Church. As we're looking just at specifically at Ephesians 4 and going through that chapter in great detail and just saying, God, what does it look like for us to be a church that reflects your beauty on the earth? Uh, let us be a people who are not only hearers of the word, right, where we gain some knowledge, a little bit of insight uh, from, from the word of God, but that we would also be doers of the word, that, that there would be a response in our hearts. Let it not be said of us that we just gained knowledge and increased our informational database and did not respond wholeheartedly to the truth and the depth and the impact of the word of God. Uh, and so I, I'm praying that coming out of this series, it wouldn't be that we just understand a little more clearly what the beautiful church, what the church of the Bible uh, looks like but that we would actually become the beautiful church that the Bible is describing and, and, and leading us to be. And so let that be true of us as we just res we're responders uh, to, the, to the word of God. So we are gonna be in Ephesians 4 today. Uh, if you wanna turn in your Bibles there, the words will also be popping up on the screen here in a minute. But um, we are, we've been excited about this spring having a series of what we're calling chapter studies where we're just uh, doing deep dives into particular chapters in the word Word of God. Uh, as I said, we're in Ephesians 4 here, looking at the entire scope of what, what was happening in the book of Ephesians and then going really deep into Ephesians chapter 4. And this week we're into verse 17. And so I want to uh, read beginning verse 17 through 19. We're going to go all the way through verse 24 today, uh, but want to just uh, start with these first few verses to begin with. So read them in the Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of evil." I want to back up for just a moment uh, to, to 
few of the verses that we've, we've hit in, the, in previous weeks uh, because I think there, there's something we want to just keep going in the, in the continuity of what we're learning and what the transformation process uh, that God's wanting to do in us because I believe that if we'll pick up the truth of what is being spoken of throughout this, this chapter of Ephesians chapter four, that it will result in us becoming not only a beautiful church, but, but a, a powerful entity uh, in, in the world today, because that's what the, the church is meant to be. In fact, last week, as Greg shared, uh, I, I was so uh, moved by uh, just having a fresh affection for the church. One of the things he talked about was loving that which, which, which Jesus loved, and he loved the church. He gave up his life for the church. He also talked about how uh, our, our identity is, is the church. And at first I was like, oh, that, that, we, we don't usually use that language. We often talk about our identity in Christ and, and what that means. And that's a little bit of what we're talking about today, not using that exact language, but that's incredibly important. And that is a, a, a potent subject for the believer to know who we are in Christ. But he spoke of our identity uh, as the church and, and that's just reality. It's not really a, a, a theology you have to even dive into that much. It's just that God said, hey, you, you are the body of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You, you, you are the church. That's who you are. And so I think that there's something about owning the, the identity of I, I'm the church. Like I, I'm a member of this body uh, and, and there's a function and role that I play. And I wanna love the church as Jesus loved the church. If we can all begin to go there, not thinking of the church as a building or a social club or you know a religious entity or an organization that does some good things or a series of events that, that I'm supposed to show up to, but that we can say, no, I, I am a church, I am the church, like I am the body, I am the, the, the bride and I wanna love the church as Jesus loved the church. There's something powerful uh, that we, we have the potential uh, of stepping into um, as being this beautiful church that has great impact uh, on the earth today. And so um, one of the things that these, these next couple of weeks are going to hold for us are, um, are, are a more individual perspective of what does it look like for me to be a part of this church. Now, the whole context is corporate. You know, that we're not just the individual me outside of the fact that we're walking in community with others, but we're digging in a little bit here to what it looks like for me to be a part of this church. And specifically the, the verses I wanted to go back to there in Ephesians four were just a, a couple that talk about, like in verse 13, reaching the unity of faith and the knowledge of the son of God, becoming mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's this idea of maturity and, and, and growth and attaining to something that we're called to be, but we're not yet there. It, it goes on and talks about not being infants, tossed back and forth, but growing in maturity. Specifically, it says in verse 15, that we would grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So we have this head that is Jesus, who is over all and above all and in all and through all, and here we are, the body. Are we rightly reflecting with a maturity the head? The, the one who's leading this thing. And so there's a call to grow into becoming mature, um, a mature body. And it, it speaks about supporting one another, building one another up as each part does its work. 
Okay, so that's the last phrase that, that, we, that we've had there in verse 16 leading into our passage today. And so we're thinking a little bit about an, on an individual level. Up to this point, we've been talking about what does it look like to unify? What does it look like uh, to, to lay down our rights and come together? What does it look like to serve? What does it look like to bring the gifts that God's given us for the building up of others? And, and now it's kind of narrowing in a little bit as now we each do our own part. And it begins with this thought uh, of doing our own part. And the very next thing that Paul then tells us is this, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So we gotta remember, this is a letter that was written to uh, the, the church in Ephesus, a church that Paul, uh, writing the letter, began. He knows a lot of the people that are in that church and the leaders that were, that were raised up. He was in Ephesus for two years. And so he has history. He knows the, these people. He, and he's also hearing word of how things are going in the church. And so he's writing a letter. Uh, to encourage them, to challenge them in different ways. And so this letter is to the church. The people that are, that are this letter is being read to are, are a part of this, this church community. And he's saying, do your part. And this is what that looks like. And, and, and I'm serious about it. And you can hear it like, hey, I'm telling you this. And in fact, I'm insisting on this. Like this has to be a reality in the church. That you, are, you have, that you are stepping out of the futility of the thinking of the world and into the truth of, of Christ. And, and so what I want us to recognize here in the fact that this letter is being written to the church is that there is something for us um, that needs to be realized and ultimately extricated from our lives. Patterns of thinking, residue that might remain, even for those who would say, I'm a follower of Christ. Are there, are there things that, that are in our hearts? You know, Jeremiah tells us that the heart, the human heart is deceitfully wicked above every other thing. And so that's a little bit of a scary phrase. And yet we, we know kind of the reality of that. Like even, the, you know, the, the, the argument that Paul has with his, with his self, like I, I keep wanting to do good, but I actually am doing the thing I don't wanna do. And the things I do wanna do, I'm not doing. Like it's just this, this, this thing of the, the human heart. In fact, uh, it, it's also, though it's deceitfully wicked above every other thing, we're also told that it is, in the Proverbs, it is the wellspring of life. And so it's something to be guarded. And it's something to be continually guarded and, and that we're trying to recognize what's coming in that, it, that might be polluting my heart, that might be polluting my thinking, that might be uh, uh, taking my affections uh, from the Lord. And so I want us to spend just a moment here uh, on the first part of this verse. And it's, it's a little serious. It's a little discouraging in one way, but, but I think it's important for us to go there to recognize that these things can be present in our lives, that, they're, that, that the things that are spoken of here are the very uh, schemes that the enemy has to steal, to kill, to destroy. That is his intention. That is his desire. And, and the, it says that Jesus came to give life and life to the full. He came to bring healing. There is breakthrough. Uh, there is freedom in Jesus. But the, the, the fullness of those things comes when we realize the, the depth of depravity 
when we, we kind of get down to the root issues of, of, of why there's waywardness, of why there's wickedness in the human heart, and, and, and just saying, God, I confess these things. God, I, I, I confess that I still struggle with this in my, in my thoughts, that, that I, still, I still face temptations. And, and why, God? I know you're good, but I, fa- I, I have this allure to these other things. And, and so it's saying, it's God, get to the root of it. God, let it be extricated. And Paul is saying like, I, I'm serious. I'm insisting on this for, for the glory of God, for your own sake, that you would be set apart from the world because this is what th- that looks like. The world, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Let's just start there. There's, there's, there's a progression here, but the first is darkness. There, there is a, a darkness um, that, that is the, the culmination of the ways of the world. A, a darkness, a, a depravity, a, a hopelessness that keeps one from seeing the glorious nature of God. That, that blinds one from seeing the, the goodness of the Father. I hate that. I hate that when people, do, they think that he's evil or out to get, I'm like, no, he's so good. He's such a good father. But there's a darkness, a, a blindness. It, it, it can happen when there's revival happening among a people and people are coming alive and there's some people that just don't see it. I don't, I don't see there, there, there's a darkness uh, uh, around it. And it's, it's pervasive. I, I always, when, when, anytime I think about the, the pervasive nature of darkness, I go back to an experience I had in, in college when I was a, a young life leader at a camp one summer. And uh, the, one of the, the favorite thing that, we, that I got to do with these high school students was take them spelunking. And so we would go into this cave and just go on this exploration. And we would always have a talk about light and darkness um, as we kind of, after we'd done some exploring and we got back into the kind of the heart of this cave and everybody would turn their headlamps off and it was dark. Like it was, the, the darkness was palpable. It, it, was, it was eerie. The, the amount of kind of, of silence and, and darkness where somebody could be waving their hand right in front of you and you have, could have no clue. It, it is a penetrating darkness. And so it was often the most powerful moment uh, for, for the campers that were there because you're talking about darkness and the people walking around in great darkness and, the, and it's like you can feel it. And there is something about darkness that just brings fear and anxiety and, and hopelessness. And that's the result of walking outside of, of Jesus. And, and really there in verse 17, it says, you must no longer live as, as, the, as the world does or as the Gentiles do. Uh, a more literal translation is you no longer walk, live, walk, but it's like literally walk. Don't walk in those same ways. There's another way for you to walk. And so this life of darkness separates you or alienates you from the life of God. I think today there's something significant that God's wanting to to do in us, some things that he's wanting to solidify, some some changes in perspective uh, in, in terms of what's happening in us internally, but also there is something externally when you think about the, the life of God that that you have found, 
If you're a follower of Jesus in the room today and you found life in God, you can think about uh, who you were before, the things that you experienced and, and now how hopeful you are, how there, there's joy, how there's life because of what God has done, because of the reality of God in your life and the redemption and the restoration freedom and so now you think about there's a people that are in great darkness alienated from the life of God it ought to make our hearts mourn that there would be people around us that are alienated from the life that God offers and just a longing in our heart for people to see this life on display in us. And that's what Paul is getting at, that, that there's people walking around in darkness and they're walking around in darkness, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And ignorance that is in them. So apart from the spiritual light, uh, you can know thousands of things. Uh, you can be the, the, the the greatest scientist in a particular field. You can have the greatest understanding of, of philosophy or engineering or whatever it might be, but apart from the, the knowledge of God, you can't know the true meaning of anything because Colossians 1 tells us that all things were created through Christ and for Christ. So to the end of his glory, he created, they, they were created through him, by him, for him. And, and so without the understanding of Christ and his sovereignty, uh, there, you can know a thousand things, but not, know, not have a, your, your mind wrapped around the true meaning of things. You don't have the, the under, final, the meaning of anything. You misunderstand everything outside of the knowledge of, of Jesus. So there is a, a true ignorance when it comes to the understanding the ways of, of the world until you understand that everything down to its uh, molecular structure was made through and for Jesus in his glory. And if you miss that, you, you misunderstand everything and the ways of everything and why things were created and for what purpose. And this ignorance is not just a, a not knowing of something. It's, it's a, a little more, it, it's not that innocent. Be, because as you read on, there is an ignorance that is due to the hardness of the heart. So it's not just an ignorance like, oh, I just didn't know, or I, I hadn't heard that. There, there is a hardness of the heart towards the things of God. There is an obstinance towards God. There is a rebellion against God. There is either pride that I know uh, that I know or understand better than God knows or understands, uh, or I, I grasp reality and God is not real, or there is fear, or there is misunderstanding, but then in the end there is an obstinance. There is a hard-heartedness towards God and the things of God that then leads down the path of, to, to ignorance uh, because you do not know the true meaning of anything that ultimately leads to a pervasive darkness uh, of reality. There's a, you're, you're dark and you don't understand reality. And so this is the plight of the world that Paul is describing. And it's not pleasant. It's not a pretty picture. It's, it's not, it's not a, a depiction, you know, it, I, I want us, and I'm, I'm hanging out here a little bit because I want us to feel it. Because I think Paul was wanting the, the readers of this letter to, to feel it. So, so much so, this, this progression, it's a darkness. It's, it says they've become callous. 
They become callous. And, and that's a form of, of hardness, of being hardened. But there's also a little difference. It's almost like it's gone that much further where before maybe there was an obstinance like, no, I will not believe. I, 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 I cannot believe. I choose not to believe. I, I reject God and the notion of God or that God is good or that God is real uh, to now there has become just a callousness in life, a lack of sensitivity to good and evil, right and wrong. The, the, the ability to, to, to go forward with justice has been skewed and what love is about and where that comes from and what that means is, is off the rails, that, that there is so much self-consumption that you do not care anymore. You're callous to the fact of how your actions and your attitudes would affect those around you and, and be detrimental to them because you're absorbed with yourself and what you need and what you want and what is alluring you. And that's, this is what that looks like. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Now that's, a, that's an incredibly frightening phrase, that they have given themselves to sensuality. It's, it's far beyond like, I, I wanna try this. I wanna dabble in this. Oh, that looks bright and shiny, or that looks satisfying, or that looks pleasurable. I just kinda wanna, wanna try it. And, and, and yet the, the thing is with sin and with darkness is that it's, it's never satisfied with you just trying or dabbling. It always wants the fullness. It wants this, that you have given yourself to it, that you have sold yourself into this form of slavery. Enslaved, addicted, lost, just indulging. The only thing you know to do is to indulge yourself and your senses to try to receive another hit of pleasure or fulfillment or purpose or meaning because of your success in your job or whatever it is. We're looking for those places to indulge and give ourselves to, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Again, another scary phrase. Not, we're not in, in, cause it's not just talking about money here and finances and greedy for, for money, though that would be a part of it. it. It's greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And do you know that that is on display in the world around us? And where once in our nation, those things were, uh, while they've always been happening, they were more secretive or more like, you know, it's not accepted. That those, those days are, are behind us where, where sensuality and the greed for every form of impurity is, is on display on, on the biggest stages in the world. Uh, for, for sin and lust and pleasure and sex and money and power. And, and all of these things are on display unashamedly in the world. And so he's saying, you've got to step out of it. And, and even the things that are, that, are, that are still in us that we war against to, to do the battle that needs to be done to step out of that world because this is, this is what he goes on to say. This, however is not the way of life you've learned. This is not who you are. This, this, is, this is not the way that you walk. This is not the life that, that you live. In verse uh, 21, it goes on and says, if indeed you have heard him and have been a taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. 
So this is not who you are if indeed you've heard Jesus. Okay, so, so even in this letter, Paul is saying there, there are people that maybe are in the church listening to this letter, but have not actually decided to follow Jesus. And so what, what we're going into for, for the rest of today, as well as into next week, will have very little application to you if you have not first said, I wanna walk in, in the ways of Jesus. I, I actually hear you describing this life and there's way too much of it that describes what happens in my mind and what motivates me and what I've experienced and I don't want it anymore. I wanna walk in the ways of Jesus. I wanna know him. I wanna know freedom. If there's another way, please tell me about it. And if that's you, there is good news for you today that we're about to, 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 to unfold there is good news about the invitation of the Father God. There is good news about this very thing that, that he says in verse 21, that if, if indeed you have heard Jesus, if you've heard him, and I wanna encourage you today that he is calling your name. He's calling you by name. He knows who you are. And yes, he's seen what you've done and he still calls you to himself, not to reprimand you, not to scold you, but to embrace you. And, and he calls you to himself. He, and he, he calls you out, uh, out of darkness into marvelous light. He calls you into purpose. Literally, there, there's some of these translations that, um, that we'll talk about you know, if indeed you've heard of Jesus or you've heard about Jesus, but the more literal, again, translation, there's no preposition there. It's just if you've heard Jesus, if you've heard him call you and you've then responded to walk in his ways. As it says there, if you've, if you've, if you've indeed heard him and have been taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So there's this beckoning for every one of us, for those that have not yet decided to follow Jesus, for every one of us that still has that pull in the heart towards things that are not of God, he's speaking today. And he's leading us into greater places of wholeness and freedom and breakthrough and purity and righteousness. And he describes it like this. In verse, 20, in verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds. And finally, verse 24, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, next week, we're going to be diving into uh, more specifics of what that actually looks like. What, what does it look like when you've put on the new self? And what are the things that are changing in your life? But I think very purposefully, Paul does not begin with like, okay, so if you're going to walk in this way, you've got to stop doing this, 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 and this. And you've got to start doing this, 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 and this. Because that's more of a, a self-improvement program. Right? That's just more of like, all right, you're dirty, you're messed up, you're in darkness, you've been hard-hearted. Let's try to start cleaning you off and start doing things better and start learning a new way. But Paul actually, that, that's not the way of Jesus. 
The way of Jesus is that you hear his voice. You respond to him by throwing off the old self. I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I don't, I don't want that way of living. I, I don't wanna walk in darkness anymore. I wanna have a, a softened heart. I don't wanna be hard-hearted. I don't wanna walk around living in ignorance. I wanna throw off that way of living, that, that way of thinking. And when we do that, there is a new self that comes created in Christ Jesus. Earlier in Ephesians 2.10, um, it says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's something that we're created for and, and by. It's this, this new self. We're to throw off the old and put on the new. It, it says it like this, uh, Paul, in another letter that he wrote uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, it says, but now put them all away. Anger, Wrath, malice, slander, foul talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old person with its practices. Okay, so there, there's practices that go with the new person and the old person, but we first gotta address the fact that there is an old person that has to be taken off. So, and he separates us there. You've put off the old person along with its practices. Okay, so we've, do, we, we, we've gotta go down the road of the exchange, and is there, a better exchange, is there a better exchange in life, right? Is, is, there, is there a better deal in all of the, the existence of, of humanity that we could throw off the old life? That, and let me just read it. Paul, Paul's already described it in Ephesians earlier in this letter. Let me just, let me just read it for you in, in, in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. So there is something about this message that Paul is trying to juxtapose life in the world and the, the hardness and ignorance and darkness and enslavement to sin and the indulgement of the flesh and the self-consumption that, that, that he's trying to, to juxtapose to the life and light and joy of being saved by Jesus and walking with him. And he wants that to be evidenced in the life of this young church. He's like, if you're gonna be a beautiful church, your life has to look different. Because you can come in, you can say the right things and say unifying things and you can, you can even serve the church and bring your gifts to the church. But if your life is still reflecting this picture of the world and not what Jesus has done in the church, it's not gonna have much power, not gonna be very beautiful. And so he's inviting us to fully step into those places because there's nothing like it. Maybe my favorite documentary of all time is called E. Tau. If you've been in this church long enough, like in the beginning, I've probably made you watch it at some point in time. I won't today because the cinematography is pretty poor and uh, well, everything about its quality is fairly poor, but the, sto 
The story is incredible. It's about um, an, an older couple whose kids had all grown up. They had grandkids, but they felt the call of God to go to the unreached. And so they, they ended up moving into um, a, a, a tribal community uh, that had really had uh, no out, outsiders come into, into their, their village, into their culture. They, they began learning the language and then they pulled out a map and said, this, this is the world, this is where you are in the world. And so it was a, a, a remote tribe that they had been called to. As they learned the language, they began to translate scripture and as they began to translate scripture, they began to gather the, the entire uh, village of, of several hundred people to tell them the stories of the Bible. And it began in the New Testament with the, crea the creation of God and uh, th on through the stories of the New Testament uh, with, with Abraham and God uh, about to sacrifice his son, but God bringing a lamb and all, all through the, the Old Testament into the New Testament with the life of Christ. And, um, and, and they, they came to the crucifixion. And this was a people that was steeped in animism, the, the worship of their ancestors. And they had a tribal mask that, uh, that, that uh, would be worn and, and worshiped. And uh, their culture was dominated by fear. They would later just share the testimonies of the oppression of fear generation after generation and the things they had to do and the ways they had to cut themselves and mutilate their bodies in order to please the spirits and the ancestors. And um, and and then if, if if anyone looked upon the wearer of the mask, they would have to be immediately killed, and all, all these types of things. And um, and so it was just this this culture of fear. And they got to the this uh, they'd been they they they'd come to love the the stories of the Bible, and they'd come to love Jesus and the stories of Jesus and this man who was a healer and all these things. In fact, they they described the 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 community showing up, and everybody came. Every time. He said there, there was a couple of times where there was, there was babies birthed during the, the sharing. Like they would come behind a little thing, like we're not missing it. Like we're going to be here no matter what to hear. And so it comes to the crucifixion of Christ. And, um, and they, they're, they begin to just mourn. And like, wait, how, how could this be? I, I, like, I thought he was going to be the answer. I, I thought he was going to be the one. And so they begin mourning. And the, these, this missionary couple says, why don't you come back and hear the conclusion of the story? It'll be our final story tomorrow. And so they come back and um, they're just grieving over their sin. They're, they're grieving over the fact that like, I thought he was going to free, I thought this was the one that would free us from, from that, the, the oppression and, and it was gonna free the people from, from all of their, their hurt and shame and pain. And, it's, and so at the end of the story, uh, they come to that last and final story about the, the, the resurrection and the victory over sin and over death. And uh, they, as they begin to tell the story, people begin to interrupt and, and give testimony. Uh, and they, they begin to say, it, it's true. Like, I, I'm free. I don't have to be scared anymore. And then they would, someone else would stand up and say, yes, what he's saying is true. This is a true message. Like, we have life. And then uh, the, just people started standing up in the crowd and talking over one another, saying it's true. That's what etau means. There's a etau, it's true. And, and, um, and they, they talked about this, this people being a very subdued people. But as they began to testify, and then they kind of got in the pockets of people, and the different ones began to testify 
testify among little smaller groups, just like it's true. This is what he is. This is what he's done. And then all of a sudden uh, they break out into this, this mob eruption of, of shouting and dancing for two hours. They are shouting, Etau, it's true. And they're just, they're, it shows them just jumping in a mob and just rejoicing and, and they can't, they can't over, and then, then they begin to weep again as they think about their loved ones who died not knowing this message and then uh, and they're weeping over that but then they start rejoicing again because how God has come to save them and it's just this incredible powerful picture of a people oppressed for generations by darkness and fear receiving the light of Jesus and saying it's true we're free we're not bound anymore we we can we can we can have life we've been saved we can live forever with him and it's just this incredible, incredible um, picture of what's happened in every single one of us. And it's, there's that type of evidence that needs to come forth in our lives. It's true. It's true. What he's done for us is true. And the freedom that we have in him, it's true. And, and the, the light that we experienced instead of darkness is true. And it's impacted us deeply. As I was reading about this and just preparing for today, I, I kept thinking, I, I couldn't get my mind off the story of the prodigal son. This, this story um, of one who, who knew the father, who knew the, who knew the father's love, had lived in the father's house, but had rejected it, had had a hard heart maybe for years, had had this, uh, this heart that was obstinate towards the father because there was such an attraction towards the things of this world. And uh, eventually when he comes of age, he asks for his share of the inheritance and he goes and in a short amount of time uh, blows all the money that he has and ends up there, there's a famine in the land and he has to find work and he has trouble finding work until finally he... He goes and he's, he's working for a farmer feeding pigs, uh, an animal that was unclean in, in the mud and, um, and, and, and starving. And, and I, I wanna put this on as just a picture to illustrate. This is the best we could kind of come up with in our children's ministry stash for, um, <laughs> for dirty clothes and um, in, a, in a pigsty, but he was desperate. He was broken. He, he says, as he gives his, his monologue in scripture, I'm, I'm, what am I doing here? Starving to death. And we're told in, in Luke 15, where the story is in verse 17, that he came to his senses. He came to his senses that something shifted in the way he began to understand. And there's a shift there that God wants to do in, in every one of us. Again, for some of you this morning, maybe for the very first time where you've been hard-hearted towards God, maybe it's been a mixture of pride, maybe some insecurity, some, some fear, questions that you have that you feel like aren't answered. And God's inviting you to today, it, and to use this language, come to your senses. For, for others that maybe have been walking with God, but dabbling in certain things or allowing you, your gratification to come, or you just realize there's some wandering in your heart, this, this wandering of your heart to other things. 
He would say the same thing. Once you come to your senses, it says it like this in our passage in Ephesians. I read specifically 22, which is the taking off of your old self, and 24 is putting on the new self. In the middle there is verse 23. It says, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. That's the whole verse, just to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. And that's, I think, the thing that happens between the putting on, the taking off the old and putting on the new is that you come to your senses. You're, you're, you're putting on a, a new attitude of your mind. There's a new way of thinking, a new way of, of seeing by the Spirit of God. So he comes to his senses and, and he says this, uh, when, when, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. In his stench, in his filth, in his torn rags, in his rebelliousness, before he can even get utter out a word of repentance or sorrow, the father embraces him. Should he have known better? Yes. Should you have known better? Sure, yes. Does that keep the father from running to you with an embrace, even in the filth and the stench. It does not. And the, the son tries to like, okay, dad, yeah, yeah, okay. But I, 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 and he's trying to get his speech out that he was rehearsing earlier, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad, this, 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 is, this is, I will wear this forever. Literally is what I say, I, I deserve all the shame. I deserve, I don't deserve to be in your house. I have made a mess of things. I've, I have ruined it all. I, I am a mess. I've rebelled against you. I've sinned against you. But can, can I just come and will, will you clean me up a little bit? Just enough to have enough food to eat. I'm, I'm starving to death. I don't have enough food to eat. I wanna eat the food that I've been feeding these pigs. And the father stops the speech short. And he tells the servants who are nearby, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And while the son wanted to keep this on, the father says, no, this gotta go. It's gotta go. We're not just putting this, this now this royalty, this, this robe that comes from the, from the house of the father that identifies the sonship, the, the daughterhood of you and I, that he wraps us in the robe. It's not wrapped over this. It's not trying to conceal something or cover something up or make something better or pretend that there's not stench or anything like that. It is, it is like, it is gone. That it, it is gone. You've got to, re, it's, it's removed from you. And that's good news. It's not a self-improvement project. Where it's like, I got to be better. I got to make sure and do this. I got to make sure. No, there's like, I take that off and I fully come under the clothing of the Father. In, in Ephesians, in, um, in, in Colossians, it talks about um, clothing ourselves, being clothed in these things. And it's, it's such a, a beautiful picture uh, put on then. 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And so we're putting as holy, set apart, loved by God. We're, we're given this cloak and we're given this inheritance and we're given this identity and we, begin, we look different. And it's not because of anything we've done, but it's also not just covering up the things that we've done. No, we're new. This is who we are, created in Christ Jesus for good works, holy and dearly loved by God. And it is a beautiful expression that the world needs to see on full display of a church dancing around for hours, just saying, it's true, he saved us. No matter our waywardness, no matter our past, no matter our rebellion, he saved us and he's so good. And we can walk with him and we're his and we're royalty. We're sons and daughters of the king. And so part of that is like, man, I'm, I'm walking in who he's made me to be. And so he's inviting us into that today, church. And we're gonna respond today. One of our responses as it has been in the past few weeks is taking communion together. And in the past few weeks, it's been a, a lot about coming together and, and unifying or coming together and offering to God the gifts to the church to, to build up the body of Christ. It's been very corporate in nature today. It's just you and God. It's you as someone saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. I wanna walk in his ways. I don't wanna walk in the, the ways of the world saying, being overwhelmed with gratitude at all he's done and just thanking him and coming again under letting, coming up to this table and just allowing him to wrap the robe around you again, to be clothed again today, to know your identity again today, that you might walk out this beautiful life this expression within the church of a group of people who are not better than anybody else. We had our rags just like everybody else, but he's given us new clothes to put on, a new identity and the clothing of shame and regret and brokenness and fear is gone and we've been made new. So we just say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, for all that you've done for who you've made us to be. We rejoice in you. We thank you. We long for more of you. God, let there be a fresh grace today to step into the identity, to, to put off the old and step into the new. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what you've done. We thank you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. I invite you to stand with me. We're gonna to respond to God. Such an important time in our service every week of God, what is it gonna look like for me to obey you as I leave this place? What is it gonna look like for me to walk out of here differently than when I came in? And so the front is open as always. If you just need to do business with God or if you need to get your communion elements and just come and get on your knees and say, God, here I am, won't you clothe me? Won't you wrap your robe around me? I don't feel like that. I don't, I don't feel like I'm wrapped in royalty. Won't you just come and wrap me up again? There'll be, there'll be some of our ministry team on both sides of the sanctuary. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. If God's stirring you to come to him for the first time today, we'd love to talk with you about having a relationship with Jesus. Just like the father in that story, the arms of God are open wide to you today. So however you need to respond to God, let's not leave this place without doing that.